0: Hello, my name is Jade. um, And as we explore the psalm that was just read out for us, I want you to think about the conversations that you have with yourself. Not the conversations you have with your friends or your family, not even the conversations you have with God. But what are the things that you hear coming from within you? Now, we all talk to ourselves, hopefully not out loud or they'll take you to the hospital. But we do talk to ourselves all the time, and maybe depending on your family, depending on your age, your ethnic background, um, maybe ideologies you've adopted along the way, that voice will sound different to each person. It might sound like someone putting themselves down, frequently feeling guilty or worthless or not good enough, or maybe it sounds like praise and pride, frequently um, thinking that you're better than everyone else. Where, sometime, where somehow in every situation, uh, these people find themselves being worthy, the worthy ones, the better ones. Or maybe, and we see this in our culture, um, and we see this so much in our culture that it's being called another pandemic, the voice sounds like a victim, where no matter what the scenario is, they're the ones that have been given the short straw. Their life is harder. No one can fathom the true difficulty. The grass is always greener on the other side. Now, no matter what kind of voice or tone you hear from yourself, the thing that we must know is whether we realize it or not, we spend a lot of time thinking these thoughts. And these thoughts, they shape the way we feel and the things that we do. And this relationship between your thoughts and your feelings and your behavior has been something that psychologists have been talking about uh, and for quite a while right now. So much so that they've developed a therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy. It's called CBT. Um, And the aim of CBT is that they want to get you to think differently. Or more specifically, they want to get get you to think more realistically. Now you may be wondering, how is that even possible? How can I think differently? I don't choose to tell myself that I'm worthless. The thought just comes to my heart. I don't choose to tell myself that I'm the best. When I finish a task and I think I've done it well, I just think I'm awesome. Now what they found is, They found that if you intentionally train your thinking, just like we train our bodies in the gym, we, I don't go to the gym, (laughs) just like some people train their bodies in the gym, you can change the negative thought patterns that you have to more helpful ones. Look at this diagram with me. Um, Their studies have shown that our feelings are actually based on how we perceive the situation the way we think about an event that we experience. Even if we've completely misunderstood the event, even if we just have no idea what's actually happened, our feelings are based on what we think about that thing, even if they're wrong. And then how we think about it will impact how we feel and how we act. And so the idea behind the CBT thing is that if you train yourself to think different thoughts, then you'll feel different feelings. And that will lead you to behave differently. And if you behave differently, guess what happens? You start thinking differently, and then the cycle kind of goes on. Now, I think we all know that just because we think something, it doesn't mean that it's true or good or even helpful, even when it sounds positive. Putting yourself down, playing the victim all the time, or even thinking highly of yourself, it can all be damaging to us. But remember, just because we tend to think something, it doesn't mean that we have to accept it. So they say, regardless of where your unfiltered thoughts usually land, your response to these thoughts, what you say back to yourself in this solo conversation, will define how you feel and how you behave. And that's what they're trying to help you work on when you do this CBT thing. Now, while this is fairly new in the world of psychology, I think they started doing behavioral studies around or after World War II, We actually see something similar across the Bible and especially in the Psalms. Remember, this was written 3,000 years ago, a bit before that. In the Psalm, we see the writer's unfiltered thoughts, but we also see his version of CBT. We see his way of speaking back to himself, of preaching to himself and realigning himself with the truth of God's faithfulness. So together, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to focus first on how the psalmist shares his heart. That first part, his unfiltered thoughts, the struggles that he's going through. But then we're going to see something different. Then we're going to see when we're going to finish our time together by looking at how he speaks back to himself. So first, the psalmist sharing his heart. And then second, the psalmist speaking back to himself. Let's jump in. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. The psalmist starts by likening his desire for God to a deer panting for water. How nice is that? Isn't that so poetic, like a deer? Now, I don't actually think it's very nice. Um, The word that we translate here as pant is actually much more dramatic than pant gives it. Uh, You might remember this from last week, but I don't want you to imagine a beautiful forest with the sun breaking through the trees and a deer prancing around thinking, Oh dear, I'm a little parched. (laughs) No, instead, I want you to think of a forest on fire. Sections have been charred to the ground. There is more fire on the horizon and there is a panicked deer running for its life. And she's looking for water to survive one more day. The psalmist is suffocating from the smoke of the fires of his life and his soul is thirsting for God, but he can't seem to find God at the moment. He's honest about the situation he's in. He doesn't sugarcoat it. Come with me to verse two. My soul thirsts for God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me, Where is your God? This is a broken man. He's suffering. And I want us to see that he's actually sharing his feelings. He's laying it all on the table. He's not interested in empty platitudes. In verse six, he says, my soul is downcast within me. Verse nine, he says, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning? He's talking to God. Do you talk to God like this? I think there are three responses that um, people usually have in bad situations and difficult situations like this. I think we either either fake flee or fall. I think we either fake, flee or fall. We fake it and we pretend that everything is fine. We completely ignore our feelings and uh, maybe even rebuke other Christians because uh, they're suffering and they aren't just sucking it up or we flee. We run away from God. We run away from the church. We run away from our communities and we just hide away. And I think the third response could be that we fall. We fall on our knees before God and are honest with how we feel. As we pray to God, even in the midst of suffering, even when we don't know what's going on or why it's happening. We tell God, we share our pain with our brothers and sisters at church. Our psalmist doesn't pretend it's all okay. He doesn't fake it. He doesn't run away from God. He doesn't flee. He is pouring out his heart before God. He has fallen on his knees before God asking for help. His situation is difficult. His thoughts are bringing him down even lower. And then if that wasn't enough, the people around him push even further further into the hole and mock him. Think about it. They wouldn't say, where's your God now? If it wasn't obvious that he was suffering. They wouldn't go up to someone who just came back from Fiji, nice golden tan, maybe wearing like beige Birkenstocks with a nice anklet. They wouldn't go up to him and say, where's your God now, loser? He's fine. The psalmist's suffering and his pain is so obvious that they can see it. And they come and they mock him. He, He describes it even more in verse 10. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. Saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Now, you may be here today and his words may resonate deeply in your soul. If that's you, I want to encourage you to stay with us as we continue to unpack God's word. I know it may be hard and I know it may be a little close to home, but God's word is good and it will bring life and light to places where there is darkness. On the other hand, you may be here and you may be fine. Maybe you're great. Maybe you're like, I'm, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Life's pretty good. Then let me beg you to follow with us even more. You see, this psalm is a song written for a congregation just like us to sing, to recall, to memorize. You don't start studying for the exam when you're in the exam room under pressure. You start studying when you're comfortably at home. Grace City, this psalm will prepare us to get through the waves that are coming, and I promise If you aren't going through waves right now, they are coming. And as your church, it is our responsibility that we preach the word of God faithfully, which we pray will help you rely on God and be more resilient in the face of trials. Um, John Piper, a faithful pastor in the U.S., reflects on the Psalms, and he says this, I think if we live in the Psalms, if we read them and meditate on them often, we absorb counterintuitive emotions towards suffering, towards difficulty the psalmists are unbelievably honest about their pain and then they say things that are just off the wall hopeful even while they seem to be expressing hopelessness it is very strange the psalms are very strange because it is a strange thing to live under a sovereign god under this sovereign love of god as a redeemed person So today and every time you listen to a sermon, every time you go to your community group or read the Bible, our prayer is that you adopt not just the content, not just the commands of what you're reading, but the way of feeling and thinking and speaking to yourself that we see across the Bible and especially in the Psalms. Look at me. Look how vulnerable this, this psalmist is. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty man, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. The psalmist is pouring out his soul. Tim Keller used to call this um, the godly ancient version of getting in touch with his feelings. He doesn't take his feelings and say, oh no, if I'm a real Christian, if I actually trust God, I'm not going to be sad. He pours out his soul, the good, the bad, all of it. And at this point, he's remembering how good it was when he was with his congregation, praising God, feeling safe and protected when everything was going well. He longs for those days again, because remember, as he writes this, he feels forgotten, far away, unsure when he'll ever be able to meet God again. How great it is that we get to gather together today. So, so far, we've been focusing on the psalmist as he shares his heart his unfiltered thoughts and the struggles that he's going through. But now I said, we, we want to shift. We want to uh, end our time together by looking at how the Psalmist speaks to his heart, how um, he preaches to himself. Remember, we want to think about both the manner. So the way that he speaks to himself, but, but we also want to be looking at the content, what he says to himself. So both the manner and the content. So as I said, this psalm is a song, and as you know, songs have choruses, um, a few sentences that are repeated, and they're usually the main focus, the main message that the songwriter wants to get across to us. Now, this psalm is no different. It has a chorus that repeats three times across uh, chapter 42 twice and once in chapter 43. Now, there are reasons why... Chapter 42 and chapter 43 are separate manuscript stuff, um, but it's still appropriate to deal with them as one song. So I'm going to do that for today. Uh, So this is the course that is repeated nearly verbatim across the three, uh, three times across the two chapters. Why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. So he feels dejected, he feels alone, he feels downcast, broken. But then he does something different. He flips the script on himself. Notice he's not speaking to God, he's not speaking to the readers, he's speaking to himself. Instead of allowing his thoughts and his feelings to take over him, he takes a firm stand And he takes control of them by telling them what to think and what to feel. He says something like, put your hope in God, I will yet praise him. I know I don't feel it right now, but I promise you, I will yet praise him. Listen to me, O my soul. Remember, I mentioned uh, CBT therapy, uh, and it's common that in the early sessions of CBT, the person is asked to monitor their thoughts and their feelings across a few weeks and write down every time they catch themselves listening to their thoughts and spiraling. You can just imagine, I'm such a failure. You write it down. They're going to find out that I have no idea what I'm doing. You write it down. My life is so much harder than everyone else's. You write it down. Why has God forgotten me? You write it down. My foes taunt me. You write it down. Time and time again in this psalm, we've seen him writing down all of these thoughts. But then the next step isn't to just sit there and dwell on them. It's to fill in a column next to it. With responses to each of those thoughts. So the goal is to never just accept any thought that pops into your head, but to know the thoughts that you have and then make them face the light of reality and see if they still hold up. A simple and what I understand is a common example. I don't know if there are any teachers in the room, probably. <laughs> Let's say you caught yourself thinking, I'm such a bad teacher how can I go back to teaching after the holidays? I have no idea what I'm doing. They're going to catch me out and I'm going to get fired. Yep, I'm married to a teacher. I know what it's like. (laughs) Now, what's a helpful response to that? Is it, don't listen to yourself. I'm the best teacher in the world. I shouldn't be afraid. No, it's not. Even though that's technically a positive response to it, it's not a helpful response to it. Chances are, You probably aren't the best teacher in the world. That's first of all. But second of all, what you're saying is subjective. Even if somehow you convince yourself of that today, it won't stand the test of time. It won't stand the waves of life. It's just an empty positive statement that will fade away. But what if you said this? What if you said, I have taught 10 classes a week, 40 weeks a year for 10 years. That's about 4,000 hours of teaching." I've had five complaints so far. Two of them were unjustified. And I've been working on growing with the issues that the other three raised. I can do this because I've done this. God has gifted me with the ability to teach. And even if I don't feel confident right now, I need to remember that. This is the manner that the psalmist speaks to himself with. He says, soul, I know you are downcast but you will put your trust in the Lord. He preaches to himself in verse eight. He says, remember how the Lord directs his love to me. He says, God is my rock. In chapter 43, verse two, he says, he calls God his stronghold. In verse four, he calls God his joy and his delight. There's a man who wrote a book on the Psalm, actually. His name is Martin Lord Jones. And he explains this idea really well. He says, we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Have you realized that so much of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking, stand up and say, self, listen for a moment. Then you must go on to remind yourself of who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. And then on this great note, defy yourself, defy other people, defy the devil and the whole world and say to yourself, I shall yet praise him for he is my God. There comes a point where you need need to stop listening to yourself and you need to say to yourself, self, listen up. That's what the psalmist did. That's what you are to do. But it doesn't stop there. Because now yourself, remember we said that we wanted to look at the manner, but we also wanted to look at the content. Because now yourself is waiting to hear what am I listening for? And this is so important. If you don't teach yourself something, you won't learn nothing. You'll learn the wrong thing. If you don't teach yourself something, you won't learn nothing. You won't not learn. You'll just learn the wrong thing. What does the psalmist say? What does the psalmist speak to himself, preach to himself? Out of everything he could have said, verse 5, chapter 43, our chorus. Why am I so downcast? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. He doesn't command himself to empty platitudes. He doesn't tell himself of his own previous victories or his own prowess or intelligence. He redirects it all to the only one that can handle the weight and the pressure of his brokenness, his savior and his God. He redirects it to the one who had been faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He redirects it to the one who brought salvation through the Exodus. The one he calls his savior and his God. Remember, our psalmist lived in a very different time to us. He lived in a time when he was still waiting for the full fulfillment of God's promise of God's savior to come. He didn't know Jesus the way in the way that the New Testament has revealed Jesus. Yet the psalmist is given these beautiful words to speak. The Hebrew word for savior is Yeshua. While the psalmist knew that God would fulfill his promise, I wonder if he could have ever imagined how wonderful that fulfillment was going to be. We see his longing in verses three and four in chapter 43. Send out your light. This is in the ESV. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God to God my exceeding joy. What is God's light and truth? The psalmist was begging for God to send his light into the world. John 8:12 tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. The psalmist was begging for God to send his truth into the world. John 14:6 tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. The truth is that some of us here are living as if God's truth and life hasn't come yet. It could be that this is your first time in church. And if it is, we're so glad that you're here. I'm so thankful to God that you've decided to come today. Or it could be that you've been here for a very long time. Maybe you've even called yourself a Christian for years. The good news of the gospel is that God's light and God's truth have been revealed to us in Jesus We don't have to stay in the dark anymore. Look at the verses that I was just talking about. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. God didn't watch from far away. He didn't send a light. He didn't send a truth. He sent his son. He sent his son that by his death, he could wash us clean and bring us into the place where God dwells. I'll close with this. If you're here today and you don't follow Christ, my prayer for you today is that you see that the roar of the waterfalls, that the waves of life, the positive talk and the self, the positive self talk and platitudes will only get you so far the only self-talk that will actually make any difference is one that is founded on the rock, who is Jesus. If you're here today and you do follow Christ, let me leave you with this quote, this warning from Martin Lloyd-Jones, the man who wrote the book on this psalm. It is because we belong to him, to Jesus, that the devil will do his utmost to disturb and upset us. He cannot rob us of our salvation, thank God. But while he cannot rob us of our salvation, he can make us miserable. He can, if we are foolish enough to listen to him, seriously limit our enjoyment of our salvation. I pray, do not let the devil limit the joy of our salvation. We need to stop listening to ourselves and we need to start preaching the gospel to ourselves. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your word is a light. We thank you that you bring hope in the darkness. Please, Father, help us to spend time in your word, to preach it to ourselves, to preach the gospel to ourselves. Don't let us be taken away by the world's thoughts, by the world's ideas. Let us be captured by you. Let us be, let us pant for you alone, not for anything else. Let us remember Psalms. Let us recall them in our times of need. Let us rely on you and no one else. In your son's mighty name. Amen.